right. You feeling it now? Amen. Come on. Man, I'm so pumped to be here today. Thank you for being here. Uh, this was the trailer that we launched to set up and uh, share uh, on Facebook and, and on social media to gain excitement for this series. I believe that God has something very special and planned for us, and uh, I'm just glad that you're here today. Please, please, please be inviting your friends, family, neighbors, uh, and, uh, and I know that they're going to be touched with uh, what God is doing and teaching us here. Uh, we, we exist to engage people where they are and lead them to becoming fully developed followers of Jesus Christ. So uh, it's our heart be to reach out and to uh, share the love of Christ with those around us. I'm excited for our movie night tonight. Uh, who here is coming to the movie? 5.30. Amen. I hope to see everybody's hands up. This is going to be a movie that changes your life if you let it. It really is. It's an impactful film. Just a side note, a uh, word of caution. This is a documentary that documents God's work in different ministries around the world. Uh, for those of you that have small children that might be bringing your children with you, there are a couple of scenes as they're walking downtown some of the streets where they show some of the red light district. There's nothing overtly graphic, but there are some images that you may uh, want to uh, consider um, maybe not bringing your children. I mean, it's just for a couple of split seconds. It's not a huge deal. My kids have seen it. But uh, if it's something that you're uh, very sensitive to, I would suggest maybe uh, arrange childcare if at all possible. But I know that this film is going to radically shake your faith. It has mine. And uh, this is one of many films by this uh, film company that's just filming God at work all around the world. It's exciting. So if you know somebody who maybe uh, needs uh, just uh, an encouragement to their faith or maybe um, they go to another church and you just know that, that they've kind of been struggling, bring them. Bring them along and let's see what God can do. Uh, so tonight at 5.30, uh, the movie will start. Um, if you would humor me for a minute, could everyone just close your eyes for just a moment. Just close your eyes in this, this place. And imagine with me, if you will, that you were abandoned as a child small child, that your parents just abandoned you without a trace. There was, there's no rhyme or reason. You were left no clues, no, no, you know, no, no information to lead you to maybe one day finding them. And even if you were adopted by a good family, lived in a good home, as you were to grow up, imagine the emotional struggle that you would have in your life being abandoned as a child. This, this type of an event in someone's life puts a longing in your heart that you just cannot satisfy. It puts a longing in your heart that shapes the understanding of who you are, where you've come from, what your purpose is. And growing up in a situation like this, you know that the only way to fill that void in your life is to answer that question. If you were to connect that dot, it would connect so many unconnected dots in your life. But in this scenario, no matter how hard you search for your origin, your story, no matter how hard, no matter how many places, how many resources you invest, no matter how hard you try, you're never able to find where you come from. Think about what that would do to your heart. 
You can open your eyes. With that in mind, we need to understand that there is a longing deep in every heart. There is a longing in every person. There is this fundamental question, and, and sometimes we are keenly aware of it, just staring in the mirror thinking, what is wrong with me? There's got to be something more than what I'm experiencing now. There's, there's a, something just aching my heart, and, I, and I'm desperate to figure it out. I just can't put my finger on it. And it creates all sorts of emotional uh, just dysfunction and emotional turmoil within us. And then other times we're not as aware of it because of the busyness of life and how we try to fill that void with just preoccupying ourselves with relationships, with busyness, with things, with, with different pursuits. But there is a longing in each of us, and we are searching for the fulfillment of that longing. Think about this. Why do people scale high heights? Why do people scale huge mountains? Well, why do scientists search the galaxy endlessly? Why do people give themselves over to different ideas or causes or challenges, trying to find the next thing. Why do you think that is? It's because we're all searching for meaning. We're searching for ultimate fulfillment. Because inherent to every human being is this longing for a relationship that was lost so very long ago. Every one of us, like the orphaned child is longing to get back to a relationship that we once had, but a relationship, a fellowship that was broken where we were separated. And the distance between us has prevented us. It's so great. This chasm of separation is so great that it's prevented us from ever being able to get back to that point of connection again. And so the search has begun to try to find a way back to God. And this is the reason why every religion, every philosophical framework or way of life has come into existence. Every cultural system is designed as an attempt to repair what was broken, what was lost when sin entered into the world, when we lost the relationship we were created for. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 4 through 25, the Bible reveals, opens a window, a picture of this relationship that was designed to give us ultimate fulfillment. If you have your Bible with you, you can turn to Genesis chapter 2. The verses will also be on the screen or as well. You can navigate to the YouVersion Bible app and, and get the verses there. But I want to read this passage of Scripture and then talk about some revelations of truth to show us what we were designed and truly created for. The very thing meant to bring ultimate fulfillment in our lives. Beginning, beginning in uh, verse number 4 of Genesis chapter 2. The word of God says, this is the account of the creation of the heavens and the earth. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, neither wild plants nor grains were growing on the earth, for the Lord God had not yet sent the rain to water the earth, and there were no people to cultivate the soil. Instead, springs came up from the ground and watered all the land. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person." 
Then the Lord God planted a garden in the Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he had made. The Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful, that produced delicious fruit. And in the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Skip down to verse 15. It says, The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, You may freely eat of the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. But then the Lord God said, It's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them, and the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, all the wild animals, but still there was no helper just right for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening, and then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, this one is bone for my bone and flesh for my flesh. In the Joey translation, he said, woohoo, she's hot. Yes, the man exclaimed, she is bone for my bone and flesh for my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother, is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Now the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Father God, we thank you for your word. God, I ask you right now to invade this place. Father, open your heart to us. Pour your spirit out upon us, God, and I pray that you would touch us in the deep recesses of our soul. God, that your word would so penetrate. Holy Spirit, that you would move. And we just thank you for what you're about to do in this place in the name of Jesus. I truly believe today that God is getting ready to encounter some of you today in a way that you have been longing for your entire life. I believe that you've come here hungry for God and he is ready to touch you in a way that's gonna transform your life. And I challenge you to open your heart to him today. Open your heart to the Father. I want to point out some amazing and profound revelations from this passage and talk about this relationship that brings ultimate fulfillment, that fills the void in our soul, the longing for our soul. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 3, it says, when God formed man, when he formed Adam, the first man, he formed him from the dust of the ground. And after he formed him, he leaned over and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. God brought man to life with a kiss. God breathed out of his own mouth the very breath into the nostrils of the man. He came alive with a kiss. This is intimacy. This is love. This is a connection that we cannot put our fingers on. This is so very profound to see. You see, all the other creative elements he made, everything else he made, from the animals to the plants to the universe, he created with a word. He spoke it into existence. He said, be alive, and it was alive. But man, he did something more significant. He formed us with his own hands. The Bible says we are fearfully and wonderfully made. God has formed you specifically. He formed man from the dust of the ground, and then he looked at man, and he leaned over, and with his own mouth, he breathed onto man. This is an intimacy we cannot comprehend. We um, purchased a new home, moved into the Clio area about two years ago or so, and this was the first house that we had with a pool. 
And so we were all excited about it. Not just a, a pool, but an in-ground pool. They, they had made a really nice um, backyard landscaping and things. And we felt really privileged to be able to purchase this home. And, and I don't know if you're like me, but when things are new or new opportunities arise, I tend to kind of go the opposite from positive. And I think about all the worst case scenarios possible. Anybody like that? Or where you're just like, you, your mind goes completely negative and you think about the worst possible things that could happen. And so as we're talking about all the good times we're going to have, I'm thinking about all the death, destruction, and maiming that's about to happen in this backyard. And, and so uh, I'm just like, well, I'm doing that so that I can be ready for anything. So I'm ready to spring into action. Uh, like what if one day I look back and my, my kid is drowning? What am I going to do. And so I create this perfect plan of attack. And, and as I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking, you know, what if that day came and I found my child drowning? I would jump into that water and I would pull him out. And if my child needed CPR, I would not even hesitate, but to go right into action. I would put my mouth on their mouth and I would breathe and I would pump and I would do everything possible without even a thought to bring them to life. Why? Because that is my kid. That is my child, and I love them with my whole heart. But if some of y'all came over, I might have a second thought. It's a little different when the person you're about to breathe on has got as much facial hair as you do. So in my house, if you're not in my immediate family, it's a swim at your own risk. I'm just going to throw that out there right now. It's not the same experience. For my child, I would do whatever I could. For someone else that I'm not really in that same relationship with, not so sure. Might give that a second thought. May need to buy some of those plastic things that you put over their mouth so there's not any unintentional contact between the two people because that's just nasty. Especially if we've eaten out and they haven't brushed their teeth yet and they got onion breath and all this other stuff. Just not good. I just might let you die. I don't know. That's just me. But when I think about this scenario, I look at what God did. God formed his son, and he's looking at his son's lifeless body. He's looking at the lifeless body of his one only son, and he looks at his son and says, I have to do something. So he bends over with his own mouth, and he kisses him, breathing into him the breath of life. This is an intimacy. This is a love. This is a bond and a connection we cannot possibly fathom. After God brings Adam to life in Genesis 2 verse 9, it says God made food for him. He puts him in the garden and he starts making all the fruit trees. Before that this happened, he had made plants, but there hadn't been enough time for vegetation to grow. So he starts making fruit trees spring up from the ground and Adam now has this super buffet of anything he could possibly eat. Because not only did he love his son, but now he wants to bless his son with good things. He wants to provide for his son. He wants to nurture and nourish his son. This shows love and care and blessing, even from the very beginning, that God and man have this relationship that's unlike anything else he's created. It is a, a bond and an intimate fellowship that no one can comprehend fully. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, it says God gives us a purpose. He puts us in the garden to tend the ground, to work the ground. And his instruction to man is not just make this a pretty place. He says start here and then 
Fill the earth, subdue the whole earth. Let the glory you see here spread throughout the whole world. He gave us a purpose. All of everything we are, from why we are created, what we're meant to do, who we are as individuals, flows from this relationship with our Heavenly Father. Everything we are flows from who we are, who God made us to be. It flows from this relationship. We have life, we have blessing, we have purpose. In Genesis 2.19, something so profound happens, I can't even really wrap my mind around it. I was talking to my wife about it this morning, and she gave a really good illustration that I will steal and use. So the props goes to her. But in Genesis 2.19, it says, God brought all the animals that he made to Adam to see what Adam would name them. And at first, it doesn't seem so significant, but think about this. God made the animals. Who has the right to name the animals? Well, it's God. He made them, right? He made them. He formed them. But what does God do? He submits his will, his rights, and his authority and gives man preference. Gives man the ability, the privilege to honor the animals. God is showing us this deep friendship he has where it's not just one-sided where he's lording over and dictating over and being this, this dominant figure where you know, you're just gonna do what I say because I say it. No, he submits himself to the will of man and gives him a decision. I mean, that just blows my mind. And as we were talking about it even this morning, my wife says, you know, it's kind of like with having kids, you know, you're in charge, you're in, you're in power, you're, you're responsible for provision, but what stops you from saying, hey, where do you want to eat today? What do you want to do today? What do you want to watch today? And we give choice and option to our kids. Why? Because we love them and we want to see them happy. So here, the God of the universe, who's made all things, who's worthy of our worship and praise, submits himself to the whims of men to name animals he had no right to name. Why? Because he loves us and he wants to see us happy and he wants to be in a friendship, in an intimate relationship where he not only requires us to give and pour in, but he gives and pours in to us. That blows my mind that God would submit himself to our will, willingly, because he loves us. In verse 21 through 25, God begins to meet a need, a fundamental need of mankind. You see, we were not created to be alone. It says that God, it is said it was not good that man should be alone. Everything that God created, he looked at and said was good. And when he looked at man, he didn't say man wasn't good as if men were somehow evil inherently. No, he said, it's not good that the man should be alone, which means man was perfect in his creation. He was exactly the way he should have been with the imprint of God on his life, but there was something wrong. We were made in his image, but there was something that wasn't right in this equation. You see, being made in the image of God, God is a not just one being. He is one being that exists in three persons. This is what we call the Trinity. It's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And these three persons together make up the one God. And in this divine relationship, they have perfect love, perfect submission, perfect and perfection in all ways for all time. There is nothing that God lacks inside of himself. He is completely perfect. 
He is not uh, inept or uh, insignificant in any way. Each person of the Trinity is equal in unity, in value, in power, in worth, in wisdom, and they've been in existence for all eternity. God needs nothing. But the reality of God, even though he needs nothing and he's all-powerful, he can have whatever he wants at any time. God in his nature, the Bible says God is love. It's not that God is loving, which he is. But he, by his nature, defines what love is. We wouldn't know love without God. We wouldn't know what love is without God. It is overflowing from his life. It, is, it emanates from him. It, it just overflows in his life. And the thing about God, and even though he's perfect and needs nothing, because of his nature of love, he is not content to just experience love within himself. He's not content with just experiencing love from the Son and love from the Spirit and love from the Father. Though they have perfect love, he is so overwhelmed with love that he has to pour his love out on something outside of himself. God has not a selfish bone in his body, and his love is not selfish. He doesn't hoard his love to himself. He has to pour his love out onto other people. And this is what was so significant about the creation of man. He makes man in his image. He makes man perfect. He gives man a will, a purpose, sustenance, blessing, intimacy. But what man did not have was a person to pour their love out on themselves. Man could experience love from God all day long, but they had no one to express that love unto someone else. He had no one else to give love to. Jesus said there's two greatest commandments in all, the, in all the Bible. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as your what? Self. Love God with all you are. This is relationship. This is friendship. This is intimacy. But loving God alone is not enough. The nature of God means his love has to be poured out on someone else. And God created us in his image. He created us to reflect his glory. And so not only do we experience love from the Father, we also are existing and created to pour that love out on someone else. So what does he do? He creates a helper. He creates a woman. He takes a rib from the man and brings her to the man. And now the man can experience perfect love from the father. The woman can experience perfect love from the father. And the love that God displays and bestows upon them can now overflow towards each other. It's a perfect unity, a perfect marriage, a perfect reality. And something so powerful, the word of God says, it says they were naked and they felt no shame. They were naked and they felt no shame. What is so profound is that they were so profoundly filled with God's peace that they were completely vulnerable, yet able to be completely confident. They were completely vulnerable, yet able to be completely confident. Now, I don't know about you, but when I look in the mirror, especially maybe before or after a shower, what I see doesn't really extrude confidence. And I don't want to hear nothing out of none of y'all, okay? This is not an opportunity to talk about how I look. I'm well aware of my inadequacies. But when I look in the mirror, what I see doesn't necessarily extrude confidence. But that's me and my glory. And when we think about being vulnerable, especially if you're in a relationship or you have a spouse or even with friends, when we think about being completely vulnerable, it scares us to death. Why? Because we have a fear there, a fear of rejection, a fear of being hurt, a fear of 
you name it. There is shame. There is, there is discouragement. But yet here in this family, this perfect relationship, they had so much love and so much peace from God. They were so completely fulfilled that there was no question about who they were. Their identity was completely sealed. They didn't care about what other people thought. All they cared about was what their father thought. And the love that flowed from God to them overflowed from them to another. And it was this perfect circle of peace and contentment. They were completely vulnerable and yet completely confident. And that came from their satisfaction in their relationship with their heavenly father. You see, only a life that flows out of a relationship with God can be, produce a person that can be completely vulnerable and yet completely confident. And that's what our heavenly father desires for each and every one of us. He desires for you to know who you are, for your relationship to be such with God that you can be completely vulnerable and yet completely confident. All they knew was peace and contentment. The Bible calls this shalom. This is wholeness. There's, no, there's nothing lacking. This is what a relationship with God, a true relationship with God provides. This is the longing of every heart and though this story seems serene, this, this just seems magical, it's so wonderful, this utopian society, this perfection, the problem with this story in Genesis 2 is that Genesis 3 happens. In the very next chapter, we see someone else enter the story. It's our adversary, the devil. Satan walks into the garden in the form of a serpent, and he begins to speak to Eve and her husband. And he convinces them that God is not who he is. That God is not faithful. He's not honest. He's not true. He's not loving because God is withholding himself from you. He's withholding something from you. There's something you can have, something you can achieve, and God doesn't want you to have it. But if you trust me and do what I say, then you'll be able to experience what you've always wanted to, and that is to be like God and to have your eyes opened and have wisdom that you couldn't possibly imagine. You see, Satan's greatest achievement is convincing mankind they were missing what God had already given them. God had already given us perfect life. God had already given us wisdom. He told Adam, he said, don't touch that tree. Don't eat it because you're going to bring pain into your life. Don't eat of that tree. It's going to bring you suffering. The day you eat it, you are going to experience death, spiritual death, and one day physical death. You're going to start a process of dying. It's not going to be pleasant. Don't eat that tree. There was another tree they could eat freely of, which was the tree of life. It would have sustained them for all time. God given, had given them the wisdom. They already knew the difference between what was good and what was bad. But Satan got them convinced of another reality. And rather than trusting God and, and clinging to their relationship, they chose to go the way of the enemy and they betrayed their friendship with God. They aided the tree of knowledge and good and evil. They broke their trust and subsequently broke God's heart. And the moment they broke the trust in their relationship, they stepped out and did their own thing and they were disobedient. Instantly, they knew they were naked. Instantly, they had shame. 
When we experience a break in our fellowship with God, there is shame, there is nakedness. We become vulnerable. We become aware of all of our inadequacies. We are completely aware of all the discouraging realities in our life. What God was sustaining through relationship with himself was now robbed by the enemy through sin and death. We once were privileged to experience eternal life with God. Now we're doomed to a life dominated by insecurity and shame. And the new reality in this family created a chasm that man could never conquer. And we've been sacrificing ever since to try to win it back. See, before the fall, before the first sin, there was no sacrifice. No sacrifice was needed. They were complete peace. They were right with God. The minute sin entered into the world, the minute fellowship was broken, sacrifice had to be issued to cover their sin. God looked at them and and, in compassion and grace, even though they did what was wrong, he stepped out in compassion and grace as a loving father. He killed an animal and used the skins of the animal to cover their nakedness, to cover them. And Adam and Eve saw what God did to cover their shame. And from that point on, we now see sacrifices happening, thinking that if we could just sacrifice, maybe we could cover ourselves enough for God to bring us back into relationship. But no matter how many animals lost their lives, nothing was good enough to pay back what we've done. Nothing was good enough to restore what was broken. We sacrifice and sacrifice and sacrifice, trying to cover our shame. And we do it in all sorts of things in all sorts of ways. We give ourselves sacrificially in our relationships. We give ourselves sacrificially in our jobs, our careers. We give ourselves sacrificially in pursuits. We constantly are sacrificing ourselves in different ways, trying to earn God's favor, to be good enough for God to say, okay, come home. Man's been trying to sacrifice ever since to get back where we've fallen from. But our enemy has been right there continually and successfully causing us to increase the distance, not close the gap leading us to sacrifice and pursue things that draw us further away from God rather than closer to God. It's like the orphan who can never get to their family. And this is why there's an aching and longing in our heart, wondering, God, how do we get back? There's got to be something more than this existence, this reality that I'm living. And the answer is right. Yes, it's relationship with God. But because of our sin, because of the things that create distance between us and the Father, we have no chance of getting back. But there is good news. Because what Jesus accomplished on the cross with his outstretched arms bridged the gap between separation and relationship. What Jesus did for us bridged the gap. What the enemy caused us and helped us destroy, Jesus reinstated. Jesus provided a way for intimacy with God to be restored, even in this broken world. And so what each of us long for but have a difficulty putting our finger on is truly found in intimacy, not institutions. In relationship, not in religious systems. The enemy gets us focused on religion. This rule and that rule, do this, don't do that. And maybe one day through all this sacrificing, you'll be good enough to finally be right with God and feel right with God. We desperately desire to experience the intimate connection with God. And to do that, the enemy gets us focused on all these things that God just says, no, it's not going to work. 
We desire the intimate connection, one that is tangible in our reality, that, that just as it was in the Garden of Eden. And, and it doesn't happen through intellectual concepts, just talking about theories of religion and, and, and theological concepts, but it comes in real connection. It doesn't come through cold ideas and what Facebook says about God, but it comes through true, intimate fellowship and friendship with God. We've been tirelessly searching for God and been falling up short. But the good news and what Jesus did for on the cross is that he made it so that we don't have to search very far. And the beauty of the gospel story, the beauty of what the word of God reveals to us is not only have we been searching for God, but Jesus has been pursuing us. Jesus has been pursuing you. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to gather up his kids and bring them home. And everyone who desires to be reconciled with our Heavenly Father can be reconciled to the Father. The Word of God says, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen. Isn't that good news? He lived a sinless life so we who are sinners could have life. He sacrificed himself so we wouldn't have to sacrifice any longer. Through his shed blood, his death and resurrection, the chasm between us and God has been bridged and all who want to cross it are given the right to do so. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father except through me. If we want to get back to that relationship with God. We want to experience the fulfillment and, and finally find the answer to this longing in our heart. We have to go through Jesus Christ. We have to go through Jesus. Why? Because he paid the ultimate price we couldn't pay. He satisfied sin's debt with his very own death. So he is the way. But our enemy, the serpent, is still doing what he does best. You see, there are people in churches all over today, maybe even here today, who know the way, but are still trying to sacrifice to win God's approval. You know the way to fellowship with God. You know the way to reconciliation. You know the way to true fulfillment, but you're still just trying to sacrifice in order to get in good with God. You're so focused on the religious rules that you're missing the gift that you have in Jesus Christ. You're stuck under heavy weights of guilt and shame. You, when you think of your relationship with God, shame is the dominating factor in your life. Why? Because you've never truly experienced the love of the Father. 1 John 4.18 says, Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is fear of punishment and it shows that we've not truly experienced His perfect love. Shame and guilt is born out of fear. It's born out of fear, fear of the future, fear you're not good enough, fear of rejection, fear of failure, fear, 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 fear. Jesus settled your debt on the cross. Your sins are forgiven. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Praise the Lord. There's no condemnation. If you're feeling shame, it's because your, your mind hasn't shifted from religion to relationship. And you're still waiting on that one thing that will, that will click for you to be good enough for God to love you. Insecurity is born out of fear. Insecurity is born out of shame. 
If you struggle with shame, it's because you're struggling with the sacrificial system rather than relationship. People restored to relationship with God are not fearful people. That doesn't mean you are never afraid, but it's a life of fear that you don't experience. They're not fearful people. They are joyful people because their sins are forgiven and they bear it no more. People who've experienced the love of the Father don't hang their heads in shame, but they lift their hands in praise because they've been set free. People who have experienced the love of the Father aren't afraid to talk about the one who's transformed their life. Why? Because he's made all the difference in the world and who would not want that experience? We're not ashamed of the one we love. One of the problems in our church today and with religion is often we have more lost people in the pews that found, than found people. And the sad but true fact is the ones that are lost don't even know it. They convince themselves that their sacrifices are what make them worthy. Their sacrifices are what make them good. And yet they're like what Jesus said in Revelation to the church of Laodicea. Though you feel like you need nothing, you're really poor, wretched, naked, and blind. They're people that are convinced that they belong to the Lord, that, that they have this relationship, but yet Jesus says they're so blind they can't even figure out that they're missing the point. It's not about sacrifice. It's about relationship. Jesus gave the ultimate sacrifice, and he's inviting you into a relationship. If you want intimacy with the Father, it's not in rules. It's in relationship. And see, many of you, you've studied about Christ your whole life. You've been to Bible study after Bible study, church service after church service. You know a lot about the Lord's biography, but you just don't know the Lord. You don't know the Lord. You've never gotten to know Jesus. You know his biography, but you don't have intimacy. But the promise of God, my wife talked about his promises earlier. The promise of God is that you don't have to stay that way. You don't have to stay at a distance. Jesus said, whoever seeks will find. Whoever knocks the door will be open to you. The writer of Hebrews says, it's impossible to please God without faith in Hebrews eleven six. But anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. You see, there is a way to intimacy. There were many in Jesus' entourage. If you think about the time he was here ministering, there were many people in his entourage. Often thousands upon thousands of people would be following him from place to place, just getting a chance to see him, to touch him, to hear him speak. Many people followed Jesus, but there were only a few in the inner circle. There were only few that had intimate friendship with Jesus. Jesus will always be popular. You can ask people that are even just hardened against religion altogether, and they will tell you, you know, I like Jesus, but that church I just don't care for. Jesus will always be popular. He will always have many followers. He will always have many acquaintances. But even he himself said he will only have few friends. And because of the cross, all of us have been invited into the inner circle. We've all been invited into intimacy with the Lord. The question is, and the reality is, you just have to decide, are you going to go for intimacy or are you going to keep your distance? God doesn't reward those who watch and wait, but he rewards those who diligently seek him. And this is why those who attend church will live their whole lives 
and still feel the power of that deep longing, wondering, what is the more that I'm missing? They'll still feel deep down like there's something more, but rather than seeking and finding, rather than going for it, they'll just keep watching and waiting and hoping one day they see something that changes things. Do you want to discover the something more? The something more that you've been longing for your whole life? Do you want to keep searching and living discouraged? These are our choices. In Revelation 3.20, Jesus says this. He says, look, I stand at the door and knock. If any hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meeting together, a meal together as friends. Jesus is on the door knocking. He's knocking the door of your heart. And he wants you to pursue him. He wants you to go to the door and answer the door. You see, the beauty of the gospel message is that in his grace, the God who was sinned against, the God who you have sinned against, the God who you've been separated from by your very own sin is the one pursuing you. I'm reminded of the story of the prodigal son, how he basically tells his father, you're dead to me. Give me the money that I'm owed. The father willingly gives him what he asked for. He goes out into a far country, spends everything on riotous living, and has ended up in a pig trough feeding with the pigs. And he comes to a census and say, you know what? Even my father's servants eat and live better than this. I know I'll go back and I'll submit myself to be a servant of my father. Maybe he'll let me uh, be a servant and, and live among the people that serve him. And so he picks himself up and walks back towards his father's house. And the beauty of this passage is that the father sees the son coming from afar. The father wasn't busy just doing his own thing. Maybe the son would show up one day. No, every day the father was looking out for the son, waiting for his son to crest over the mountain. And the minute he saw his son, he bolted toward his son, wrapped him up in his arms and said, my son who is dead is now alive again. The heavenly father, the God who we've sinned against, the God who we've wronged, the God who we've broken fellowship with, the God who we've broken trust with, the one that we've pushed out of our lives is calling out to us and saying, child, come home. And the minute we open the door, guess what? We're reconciled. We're reconciled. All that is before is put to death, and behold, you can become new. This is why whoever seeks finds, because Jesus is already waiting. This is why whoever knocks, the door will be opened, because Jesus is already waiting. He's waiting for you to choose him. Church, the Father has already chosen you. He loves you. He desires you. He prays for you. He's pulling for you. And he's fighting for you. But he will not force you. He will not force you into a relationship of intimacy with him. And the answer to the question about the longing in our heart has always been an intimate relationship with our Lord and Savior. And some of us, because of life circumstances, maybe we've been hurt. Maybe we prayed for something and it didn't come through. We just didn't understand. Rather than opening our, the door of our heart to the Lord, we've reinforced the door and kept Jesus at a distance. Maybe you're here today and you've been searching for something more and you're not a believer. You're, you're honestly, you just don't know if 
Christianity is right, if Buddhism is right, if Islam is right, you just don't know. You're just seeking and you're searching. You're searching for the answer. I'm here to tell you that the answer has always been Jesus. And today, the Spirit of God is knocking on the door of your heart, asking, will you open the door to him today? Will you put aside fear and doubt, and will you just go for it? Will you choose Jesus? Maybe you're here today, and you've attended church a long time. Maybe you prayed a prayer, and you had a spiritual experience. Maybe you opened the door to the Lord, but rather than inviting him in to share a meal as friends, you let him stay in the threshold. You opened the door and you began a relationship, but it didn't become very intimate. Jesus had a twofold desire, one that you'd open the door and two that he could come in and fellowship as friends to have intimacy with you. And so many of us, we pray the prayer, we open the door and that's as far as it goes. But God has something more. He has an intimate relationship on, on hold waiting for us to experience. But we've got to invite him in to the inner recesses of our heart. We've got to tell God, God, you have access to my life. I'm yours. Come in. Make your home in my heart. I give you my life. There's no place in my life that I'm going to withhold from you. Come in. And when we make that decision, we invite Jesus into our life to be Lord over for every area, God will begin to do a work in us. He'll begin to change your purpose. He'll give you new eyes to see the world around you. He'll give you new desires. Why? Because you're so going to be connected with Jesus. You know, they often say you become like those you hang around. The more you hang out with Jesus, the more you become like him. The more you hang out with Jesus, the more you become like him. The more you begin to do the things that he does. You go the places he goes. You stand for the things he stands for. You reach out to the people he reaches out for or reaches out to. The intimacy that we desire with God doesn't just happen on a one-on-one -on -one basis in the quietness of our own home. We were made to not only receive love, but to give love. And the more we hang out with Jesus, the more we'll be taken out of our comfort zone to reach out and make an impact in our world. And it's in that going, it's in that following, it's in that friendship we have with the Lord that we finally find the fulfillment that we have been longing for. In just a minute, we're gonna go into a time of response. And this is what I've been praying for all week. This is what I've been just asking God. I'm like, God, do a work in us. We've been praying in our Sunday night prayer nights, God, develop a hunger for your presence in us. I believe that God wants to do a radical thing with Vertical Life Church. I believe that he wants to do miraculous things, but he's waiting on cold hearts to become hot. For people in fear to say, I'm going to take a step of faith. He's waiting for people to say, you know what, that's not my thing too. I'm all in with Jesus Christ. And when we do that, when we give God our hearts, you would not believe the things that God will do with your life. Even this week, we've experienced many things. Last week, we saw somebody healed right before our very eyes. God is doing amazing things. And so many of us are missing out on that fulfillment, that peace that God has for us because we're still isolated in our own little Christian bubble. And we're withholding ourselves from the Lord. Let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes in this place as we go into a time of response. If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with God, in just a minute, I'm going to have people stand up. 
when I have people stand, you come forward and we're going to pray together and you're going to open the door to a life-changing transformation in your life. Inviting God to come in and finally find the beginning of a journey that's going to bring the thing that you've been looking for. Maybe you're here today and you've been a Christian your whole life. But you're just like I have been. Knowing week after week, service after service, Sunday school after Sunday school, knowing that this is what you're supposed to do, but there was something more that you're missing out on. My prayer to God this week is that God would radically touch people today, that his spirit would overwhelm people, and that people would be filled with his presence and get a taste to see that the Lord is good, to see what they've been missing out on because of being consumed with sacrifice and not relationship. If you're ready for something more, when we stand, I'm going to ask you to come to the front. My wife and I will be down here uh, to pray. Uh, Chris, our elder, will be down here as well to pray. And we're just going to give our hearts to the Lord. If you're here today and God's done something radical in your life and you have a testimony to share, the microphones down front will be available to you. But for the next few moments, let's respond to the Lord. And if you're hungry for more, if you're hungry for God to do something, if you're ready to take your relationship to the next level, or maybe you need to begin a relationship with God, you come when we stand. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for this message and this word. God, thank you for your heart. God, thank you for opening our eyes to this relationship that, that you desire to have with us, God. And forgive us for missing out on it. Forgive us for being so isolated and self-focused, God, that we've missed out on what you've wanted to do. God, I pray now, Holy Spirit, draw every heart. Come, Lord Jesus, anoint us now. Fill this place with your presence and begin to work even now in the name of Jesus. Let's all stand together. You come forward for prayer. And there'll be some songs on the screen. If you're uh, still there in your seat, uh, you can sing along and just continue in an attitude of worship and prayer.